Hello, and welcome to another episode of our Synergy Autism Podcast. I'm very glad that you are here. Today, I get to speak with one of my very favorite people in the world, Dr. Christy Preddy Franzak. And as you've heard in a couple other episodes, she sometimes will call me and ask about a situation that she's been asked about. So that's what you get to hear here. This conversation that I'm having with her is going to be about a boy who dives under the table at the end of the day when it's time to transition. And she was asked the question of, what do you do? Um, How do you approach um, the situation when it's happening? And then how do you make it not happen again, especially when you have some assumptions about what might be going on. But really, we unpack, uh, to use her term, we unpack what to do. So we explore what to do in the middle of the behavior so that you know how to just get through and weather the storm. We also discuss preventative measures as well as what to do afterwards to plan for better transitions in the future. We discuss how to engage the whole classroom team for support and also how to negotiate with parents in the situation. We highlight ways to be able to decrease stressors also when you still have to follow through with a child. They still have to go home, but what are some stressors that you can reduce so that child can be more successful? So thank you for listening in. I hope that this is helpful for you. And if you have any questions or concerns, let us know. You can also find some of the resources that we have on our website, which is curiositytoyou.com. And thank you again for listening in. Take care. If You have this scenario where uh, a child who's pretty low cognitively speaking and probably nonverbal. So we we have a young child who also has some delays and they struggle with transitions, particularly a transition that's a non-negotiable. So transition to the bathroom, you can work around. Transition to an activity, you can work around. But the transition home... There's no workaround because either the parent is there to pick up the child and needs to leave or the bus is going to leave without the child. But this child, for whatever reason, their stress behaviors kick them into the drive where their go-to response is to crawl under the table. And if you try to encourage them to do anything but be under the table, they spit at you. So in that moment, let's say there's one teacher and one associate and a classroom of 23 others. But you got a kid under the table and you need to get everybody in their harnesses so they can get on the bus or mom standing at the door. What do you do? So I guess my first question is, how does the child know that the transition is happening? Okay. Because then that is going to alert you. If it's happening every day, it seems like it's actually an easy one to experiment with things that could help him be more successful before that transition happens. Okay, so sometimes when I think about this, it's like this simultaneous thing. You know that in a moment you're going to be faced with the kid under the table, but you can't ignore that you have to be thinking about what were the stressors that got compiled to result in getting under the table, meaning I was uncertain, I felt unsafe, whatever it might have been. So let's pretend we're still doing our due diligence of prevention before intervention, but okay. right now it's 310 and he's under the table. Yeah. Do I get the picture schedule out and show him where he's supposed to go? Do I 
do a room no. clear? Do I invite him to come with me by taking my hand? Bottom line is that there's no teaching that's going to happen at that point. That child is kind of over that edge in the middle of the storm, how, whatever word you want or phrase you want to use, that they're feeling chaotic. They, okay. So you doing um, trying to teach in that moment is just going to add to the chaos. So if I get my right. schedule, that's me trying to teach, remind them of the yes. linear nature of our routine and the first then and all that. So no. Yes. But what about so, just like reaching out from taking my hand? I'm just trying to be nice. Right. But if he's going to, if he's spitting at you with that bid, which is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you know, we were just talking about this a little while ago. If it's the end of the day, allowing the rest of the kids to go out is going to bring down, down the dynamics for the classroom and actually for that teacher who's trying to support that child. So turning the lights off, making it really visually clear also that the, the day is ending there. <laughs> um, and then being really, you know, the way I look at it is being as clear and simple as possible and almost going kind of mechanical at that point mm -hmm. where you just have to be safe, be a friend, but be very clear and the more you waver, the more you add to the chaos. And so when you say waver, I automatically think sometimes I get in my head as the teacher kind of mixed agendas. Like, I want you out from under the table and to stop spitting and to get in your harness and to go on the bus. And so, like, I'm not being very, like you said, mechanical or methodical. First, I need to just get you yep. soothed. Then we can worry about getting you in your harness, right? Because all that shark yeah, music yeah, in my head. One thing at a time, for okay. sure. So mechanical is one yeah. thing at a time. Would you? And not doing yeah. a lot of talking. Okay. Except essential words, especially. I mean, if, if the child's nonverbal already, then the process, auditory processing is not going to be so great, most likely. And then, so in the middle of the storm, it's going to be really offline, <laughs> even more so. And so, really, just making it visually clear and saying something like time to go and that's it and then offering your hand if they don't take it of course then hopefully that team has been trained in some support that is kind and physical intervention at that point of if they have to get that child on the bus right so that if it gets to that point they have to really look at their state and district policies around yes. when you can touch move a kid exactly but the whole idea is to not get to that point because your effort is to try to soothe the system not i think sometimes two people you know that get into that functional behavioral assessment stuff they're trying to figure out what the trigger is and sometimes that doesn't lead anywhere because there's so many stressors that sometimes you don't know what was the straw that broke the camel's back so it's right. more like don't try to play detective at that moment either. You know, we say don't teach at that moment. But also, I want you to be curious in the sense of like, how can I support you? And why are you overwhelmed? But I also want to know that what I'm there to do is to soothe your system. And so the yeah. detective is trying to figure out what will soothe you, not what will get you to be compliant. Does that make sense? Well, yes, and I feel like what happens in autism is that we think that something might be soothing to them that is soothing to us. Uh, so we think of soothing as being um, sometimes some a lot of talking of, it's okay, I'm here for you, like that kind of stuff. 
and that just adds to the chaos right. being clear and just saying in a kind gentle but clear approach it's time to go and if you and just yeah. repeating that and being really clear with your body language with everything is actually more soothing in that moment to somebody who's a more black and white thinker or is feeling chaotic Right, because if you start asking what happened or how oh, can you yeah. be helpful, do you want to carry your favorite Spider-Man with you, all of uh, that just yeah. adds to the confusion, right? Absolutely. So our body language, and then if we do do any verbal language, we have to make sure that it's not adding more stress behavior. Yes. And especially for someone with autism, it's still giving that predictability because it's going back to those three basic needs of safety, satisfaction, and connection. If I can make it predictable and I'm the friend, not the foe, all of those yeah. basic needs start to get met and the system gets soothed. Exactly. So, yeah, it's just kind of hard because, you know, it's like we were talking about before. It's like there's not a one-size-fits-all because you might try something and, like you said, then you see how they react. So I hand, I extend my hand and, and he bites it. <laughs> well, okay, you know, that's a different than I extend my hand and he looks at it. Well, I'm going to, yeah. right, each time I'm going to go give a little bit and see how it goes and then step back if I need to, literally and figuratively. Yeah, I think what you bring up, too, is important that, you know, even though I said that you may have to look at your intervention strategies that are, you know, physical intervention strategies that are okay or for, with your school or program or whatever, not to do that too soon. Uh. The first thing would be to assume intent. And so he's under the table, so you drop all the sensory, the kids are, are gone, does that alone offer your hand at that point? Don't go straight to then the physical intervention. Offer your hand, assume intent, and, and say, time to go. And then wait, right? And wait, give processing time. Yeah. Some kids will go, oh, thank gosh, everybody's gone. I can now do it without so much chaos going on. I can, I can be successful. Where other kids... Are doing it because they don't want to leave the comfort of the classroom because it's predictable, et cetera, et cetera. But I would rather assume that they do want to go and do what is expected and they want to go home and they just maybe need more information or less information from a sensory standpoint. So yeah, that's a really good distinction. So really quick, one layer, let's say I'll pick on moms because moms always get picked on, right? So let's say mom, <laughs> yes, comes, mom comes to pick little kid up and the minute the little kid sees mom, his go-to overdrive is to under the table. In that moment, would you suggest that the educational team members coach mom? Would you start off with having the one person with the strong relationship model and somebody else try to explain to mom what you're doing? Would you have a meeting with mom to say, we need to get a handle on how the transition home looks. This is what we're going to do and make a plan together. I know I asked you eight questions, but how would you involve mom in that process if she appears, quote unquote, to be the trigger to make the kid go under the table? <laughs> It's very similar. Everything I talk about is a parallel process, right? So the first and foremost, I'd assume intent. Mom probably deals with more transitions than the school does. Right. So mom might be 
stepping back to see what the school does to, to get some ideas. But at the same time, mom probably has some strategies that really work. So her strategy is to bribe the kid with candy or an iPad. Mm. <laughs> right? Because that's the reality. Mom's got two other kids hanging on her and she's got somewhere to be. And her one little one just ran under the table. So an easy, quote, unquote, quick fix, as you would say, is to say to the kid, hey, I have a little candy in my pocket if you come with me, or the iPad's in the back seat when you get in it. Does well, it work? Well, it always works temporarily, right? Yeah. First and foremost, I'd try again to look at that interaction and see what is working. Okay. Rather than what's not working. And try and build on that. So yes, sort of coaching mom, but not yet. Okay. So first and foremost would be to observe okay. what works, what doesn't about that scenario. So we know that kids on the autism spectrum often do respond quite well to a visual and tangible reinforcer. And we also know that that's temporary. Okay. That it doesn't teach long-term independence. Okay. So that's what the conversation could end up being with that mom, but not at first. I think at first it needs to be what's working. And then I would set it up and maybe even do some role play or something like that with mom rather than trying to do it in that moment. It's going to be, you know, High she's going to be feeling chaotic. She's got something else on her mind. You have something else on your mind. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> near the red train, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, when you said what's working, so instead of jumping to there she is with the candy again we're like hey it's a visual it's tangible it's an incentive yep maybe what we talk about is something different than candy but keeping those attributes meaning well, visual or, tangible and interest or no yes or maybe because what my i'm guessing is that this child then dives under the table to get the candy right so they don't quite understand that it's the transition that they maybe and when you say does it we don't mean that they have conscious awareness that they're doing it it's like their habit that they've created it's yes. the drive yeah i see mom mom has candy she gives it to me if i dive under the table but it's not That's this it's not this conscious i'm going to go under the table so i get candy like no yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard, happen. right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And so trying to unpack that and trying to, you may still use a tangible of candy or the iPad, at, but it may be at home once he makes that whole transition and trying to figure out how do you help him understand the expected behavior is to go get your backpack and your coat and walk out, right? Can you walk that through? I know that's a big request, but how do you scaffold that? If the conditioned habit is see mom, go under table, wait for candy, what does mom do the next time she comes in the room? There's two things. One is before mom even arrives of making sure that the child knows what the end of the day looks like okay. and supporting them, whether it's on their IFSP or whatever, of teaching steps to, to help them understand the end of the day routine. So okay. when, you know, when does he start going south might be during cleanup time, for example. And so having somebody paired with him to help him understand what cleanup time is. And watch to see if you can see that the escalation has started. Yes. Before waiting for full on. Okay. All yeah. right. And then supporting him so that he, I mean, really, I don't know if this is going out there a little bit, but 
the whole idea is to keep his mind in the new habit of I clean up, I get my backpack, I get my coat, I walk out, and there's mom. Yay! You know, we're saying habits, right? So he has this one habit. You're trying to create a new habit. So you may have to stay away from that old habit and really pair somebody with him, which I know requires one-on-one for a little while, but he's already requiring one-on-one. So just bringing, bringing it a little earlier to give him one-on-one. And then the conversation with mom might be, let's not give him the candy or the iPad until he's in the car. And or maybe we meet mom in the parking lot instead of in the classroom. Which then is also going to add to a new habit rather than... Right. So what's the tiniest step we can take is at least get him out of the building before the meltdown. (laughs) Okay. All yeah. right. So the so there's really it's all that simultaneous, but it's the dynamic with the caregiver in this instance makes it even more important that everybody get on the same page. Yeah. Right. So that we decide this has been the habit. If you look at breaking that, what's the very first different step we want to take? To to derail it. Think of it as he's going down the slippery slope of this like automatic pilot. And every day he does that, it just gets that stronger and stronger. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes just, Hey, let's have you have a new job to do at this time. Or let's have you, you know, totally leave from a different room. Uh, You know, maybe he finishes up in a different room instead or, you know, or something to to disrupt the the pattern that we've created for right now. When we can get that disruption, then we get clear on how do we keep the nervous system soothed versus continually reminding the kid what he's supposed to be doing or waiting a long time for everybody to get their gear on or whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. But that always keeping in mind that once you do find yourself in the middle of the storm, that might be the other thing you got to talk with mom about so that everybody knows no talking. Everybody knows no teaching. Everybody knows one phrase, one goal, offer lifelines. Yeah, you could even have a sign on the door that if the lights are off, so are your voices. Oh, nice. You know? Yeah. So if other parents are coming and going, everybody's helping, contributing. All right. Perfect. Thank you for listening in to the Synergy Autism Podcast and my conversation with Dr. Christy Preddy Franzak. I really want to thank Christy for continuing to ask me some of these great questions and for us to um, be able to unpack and discuss these on a regular basis so that I can share them with you. If you have additional questions or you'd like to have more information in the same spirit of what you just heard, you can go to our shared website, which is www.curiosity2u.com. That's C-U-R-I-O-S-T-Y-T-O-Y-O-U.com. So curiosity2y-o-u.com. Or you can go to my website where I have lots of links also to some online trainings in regards to autism and my blog and lots of other information as well. And that's at www.synergyautismcenter.com. Synergy is S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. Thank you. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon.